Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. I've been looking around today and it's hard to believe that we're actually doing what we're doing. And uh, I don't mean chilling here in the AC at about, oh, what time is it? 2.30 in the afternoon. A rarity for Kent on his yes. work days. Normally, if I need to cool off, that means I just go like work in the shade. <laughs> <laughs> he or tries find, to come in the office. Like, Kent, the, get out of here. What are you find, doing here? Find the windiest spot on the farm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, we're sitting here in the AC recording a podcast with several. And by several, I mean one, two, three, four. I guess we can count Nicholas. Five dapper dudes here that have been participating in dapper our sharing. Dudes. Sharing the land program that uh, we are, I shouldn't say our sharing the land program, our little piece of it. It's mm-hmm. Doug's, Doug's uh, idea that he dreamed together. Um, go back and listen to, I don't know what episode number it was, but it 42, was 42, 45, something like that. So in the 40s. Go back into, that, the, in, into the 40s on our episodes and listen to our interview with Doug Duran, who dreamed up sharing the land, a way to get. Uh, more people involved in land use and maybe even land decisions, right? Um, a way for them to kind of get on the person who's the owner, operator of that ground and see things from their perspective a little bit and hopefully get a good dose of that personal investment that comes with working on that ground by offering some volunteer work and in exchange the landowner uh, grants some permission for using the land for hunting fishing um, could be all sorts of things and, I know no one no one applied asking for like a barbecue cookout hangout which was kind of a bummer <laughs> everyone was like I want to kill some pheasants which is yeah. cool we're happy for you to come hang out but uh, yeah and we had some bird dogs here too yeah and one person today, we won't say who, actually killed a pheasant. <laughs> I feel like we should clarify. It's the middle of August. <laughs> no, we're just going to leave it right there. <laughs> nothing illegal happened. Yeah, nothing illegal happened. Trust us. <laughs> <laughs> just a very ill-timed flush while, uh, while somebody was en route to... Actually, uh, well, he was very angry. He chucked a shovel like a spear. Just <laughs> nailed a pheasant. I couldn't believe it. It was like 20 yards away. <laughs> I thought it was a pelican. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we all have some, a little bit of a heat stroke right now, so excuse our bad jokes. But uh, we we uh, been having a great day. We got a lot of work done. Yeah. And uh, what I've appreciated the most about the work is talking with guys while we're working. Usually, it's a pretty solitary thing. Um, uh, we get to listen to a lot of books and a lot of podcasts while we're working on the farm. And by we, Kent means him. <laughs> yeah, mostly me, but. Uh, it was nice to just have all these guys around. And I, I think I made the comment either to Bart maybe, or, uh, I don't know, Bart or Mike, or maybe Robbie. I said, I think this is the most like educated, skilled or experienced workforce we've ever had. Like the, like the biggest one hitting our fields at one time. Um, so now would be a great time to just kind of introduce, who everyone is here uh, today participating and uh, kind of hear their story a little bit. So we're, we're going to start here on my immediate left. 
what did you tell Nick? Everybody, all your friends call you. Smiling Mike. Smiling Mike, and it's so true. The guy's yeah. so Nick. Nick just told me yesterday. What'd you tell me yesterday, Nick? I don't know. I think you I just he, love calling him. Yeah, right? whenever he's on the phone, he's so excited. And uh, Kent was like, uh, when he called me while we were on the way over here, and I was like, Hey, do you have Michael with you? Like, yeah, and I was like, Man, that guy is a cool. Dude. <laughs> Man, I like that guy. <laughs> Man, I like that guy. So likable. But that is not just because you smile. You 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 got a lot of interesting stuff going on. So. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about yourself, Mike. Uh, well, you know, I grew up uh, southern Iowa down Wayne County and, uh, you know, grew up loving the outdoors and had a bunch of CRP and got to run around and live a feral childhood. No, oh, that's the best childhood. Yep. Um, <clears throat> what percentage then, of the time did you wear shoes? Ooh, probably not much. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Close to zero. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Unless I was near a tractor, you know. Like, I only got three toes left for for my childhood. (laughs) Three toes and hookworms. Isn't that how you build immunity? (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, and just as I've grown up, I've enjoyed working on different prairies and prairie construction. And, uh, you know, I found out started following the meat eater and and then that led into learning about doug duran mm. um you know and then he had the motto it's it's not ours it's only our turn mm-hmm. and i feel like that really hits home um every time i share that phrase with somebody they're always impressed yeah and you can sit that you can tell they're sitting there they're like mulling it over in their mind like looking for okay how could this not apply and that dang that's good you know? yeah <laughs> It just it just sums it up so well. It does. It's perfect. And then, uh, yeah, through that, you know, I saw he had was starting the sharing the land program, and I was like, well, I'm gonna sign up for it. You know, it it's not gonna hurt. I've seen uh, a lot of the ground that I used to hunt um, has been changed hands several times, mm. and uh, don't have access to it anymore. I'm not good at you know, walking up to people's doorstep and, and asking for permission. So um, I was like, well, you know, if nothing else, you go out and build some camaraderie and, and uh, get to meet some people and, yeah, and, you know, great way to network. And plus you're doing something that's helpful for a farmer, you know, or yeah. whoever, um, which is how I grew up. You helped your neighbors and, they helped you and then you know when things were good you got to go out and enjoy life and go hunting together and that's right so it really you know really just feels right to me yeah Hmm. yeah very well said very well said can you kind of like that's an interesting thing that you bring up there because um we talk about that but we don't have somebody who's like lived it very often talk about it the loss of access can you talk about like some of the ways that access was lost like what's going on on that ground and now? and for people listening who are not avid hunters basically what Kent's talking about is access to hunting or to public land or uh just our, as Americans our ability to get to land that we can wander and explore yeah so uh yeah i grew up my dad was huge into quarter horses um and we did a lot of trail riding and my neighbor owned a full section behind us and so 
we had basically full access to that. We'd go out every single night, ride horses, um, wow. you know, get ready for the fair or whatever shows we had going. And, uh, you know, it was just like an open door policy. And, you know, the neighbors across the road, it was, you know, no big deal. I'd just wander over there and play in the creek. And, yeah. and uh, you know, eventually, you know, landowners pass away, their families, you know, disperse the land, sell it. Um, and with the advent of the deer hunting culture that's really come up in Southern Iowa, you know, you have a lot of absentee landowners that, that uh, I mean, that's why they bought the land and I don't blame them for doing it. I would too, if I was yeah. able to. Um, and so, you know, those, those doors closed, you can't yeah. access that land anymore. And, yeah. and there's know, no, you can't go to a house on a farmstead and say, Hey, can I use your land? Cause that guy's house is in Nevada or North Carolina or, mm-hmm. you know, California. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, you know, and there's no, Oh man, today's a great mushroom hunting day. I should run over there and check that hillside. Oh yeah. That land got sold. So I don't yeah. know who owns it now. And, mm. and, uh, yeah, so it's been, you know, one of those one of those hard lessons that I've learned is how spoiled and lucky I was as a child um, and thankful that I was able to have that because it, it really, uh, it's really a different landscape now. Not that it's worse or better, it's just different. Hmm. I also, because you're spot on with something I wanted to bring up, uh, Onyx, most people know what Onyx is, but for anyone who doesn't, basically it's a mapping system for you to figure out who owns what and where you're allowed to go and where you're not. Um, and uh, protects you from getting sued for all your worth. But uh, they're doing a really cool thing. I think we talked about this, but the um, not only are we participating in sharing the land, but since Hawks and AFCs is one of the first places to open in Iowa, and I guess Doug likes us, he wanted to... Uh, do he's doing a special series so onyx is filming him doing a special series on sharing the land to help promote it and so they've been um a film crew from them and doug been hanging out with us this uh today and that's been really really cool but it, and let's shout out the the guys who are doing the filming they're oh from, land land limited yep land limited yep. yeah they're awesome if you follow on instagram yeah th- but um what i think is really cool is onyx said uh said we're gonna pour money into uh what doug's doing sharing the land to uh i'm sure it's to some benefit for them but it really is like a pro bono you know they just decide hey this is worth the cause this is going to help people who want to hunt people who want to get access people who want to be connected to the land and i think that is really cool yeah uh, another guy who kind of mentioned something that was along the lines of what Mike was finishing up there, Mike said, I didn't realize how good I had it as a kid until later. Jay said that a few times today. He said it, I think, about uh, fishing. And maybe the other one was, uh, was it grouse hunting maybe? Definitely something I miss, yep. Yep, yep. And so you might recognize Jace's voice or you might not because no. it's the worst audio we've ever had on a podcast. So bad. <laughs> I think I screwed it up when I compressed the file. But uh, um, Jace is back with us, Jace Elliott, the state whitetail biologist. And uh, we met him through our friend Todd Bogenschutz, 
Um, I'm jealous of you that you get to work with Todd every day. Dude. That, that is like, if we had an IQ test for the entire world to, to take, I think uh, like the standard would be would be like if you're if you're a genius, you have to score at least what what Todd scores. <laughs> the crazy when you talk to Todd, he he's so unassuming and his voice is so calm so and humble. peaceful. You would never know. And then you get to talking to him, and he he knows basically everything. He doesn't want to admit he, want, he how much he knows. Uh, and he's a really good hunter. And you might, yeah, that's the thing is you might be thinking, oh, I bet he's just one of those, you know, like textbook guys who, I bet you if you put him out where, where you can see how he hunts. No, he just shot a 197 last year. So he's, uh, he's a, he's a great hunter and uh super smart guy, but that's how we met Jace. And, uh, it, it was oh, no, kind of, we spent all of Jace's yeah, interview talking, talking intro about talking cool about Todd is. Hey, that's... You can hear Todd on a few episodes on this podcast, but, uh, three actually um but uh no that what was kind of like serendipitous that day was we todd introduced us to jace and i think you had Otto with you i had my previous dog with me oh okay uh at, at that time who has since passed but but now the the puppy i have with me will i'm sure make it into the episode uh i would have to imagine <laughs> he'll, he'll get some cameo time yeah <laughs> But Jace, you love in Iowa so far? I am. Yeah, I, I have no complaints. I think I've said uh, today in passing that I think that Iowa is, it, it has to be the best state in the Midwest for the generalist hunter. Uh, mm. I, I do believe that. I think that uh, the, the opportunities we have, uh, you know, from deer to pheasants, turkeys, uh, great waterfowl, um, small game. I mean, it, it's all here. Uh, what we don't have is the public land. And mm-hmm. Iowa's at the very bottom of the list of, of states in our country, I think we're maybe the third lowest uh, right. mm-hmm. amount of public land uh, in the country and right at about 3%, I believe. Yep. Uh, so that's a, a big change from what I grew up with in uh, central Wisconsin. I have a 40-acre a uh, family piece of land in west central Wisconsin that butts up against a just a massive complex of county land. I think there's you know well over 100,000 contiguous acres uh, that you could explore so more land than I'll ever dream of touching in my lifetime and that is certainly something that is easy to take for granted when you're uh, growing up around that Uh, and and beyond that I I grew up on a small farm uh, just a 40 acre hobby farm and half of it was in crops but that other 20 acres uh, gave me some great opportunities to uh, I think I shot one of my first deer with a bow on that on that piece and uh, did a lot of hunting with my younger brothers and grandfather. We ride horses back there. And uh, it, that was something that certainly not everybody has growing up. And beyond that, I was also able to uh, walk onto many of my neighbor's properties and, and hunt too. I think uh, there was one property across the road from us that I probably hunted more than our own uh, and, mm. and almost began to think of it uh, as such. And it does seem that that has changed a lot. And, and, by no means is that not still occurring, but land access uh, is, is certainly one of the biggest issues that we face in Iowa. Uh, like Mike was talking about, a lot of land is changing hands, and it's changing hands in uh, it's changing to hands that may not live in that area or even in our state. And again, there's nothing wrong with that uh, necessarily, but it does create issues when uh, we're trying to you know expand the pastime of hunting and outdoor recreation in general and just the amount that it's happening that's is right. starting to cause 
a lot a lot of issues there. yeah absolutely uh so i heard about sharing the land uh i'm sure like most of us did by listening to the meat eater podcast i think i actually uh had the podcast referred to me by one of my friends the specific episode uh and he doesn't live around here but he knew i was in iowa and he said you should check this out mm-hmm. uh, and i ended up listening to it uh, filling out an application uh and was yeah very excited and, and fortunate to have been uh picked and, and given this opportunity, I think that, I think that from what I can tell, this program really sets the blueprint for what I hope, uh, you know, can be a larger effort, um, mm, yeah. you know, going, you know, across, you know, as much area as we can to mm-hmm. open up land and create new opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, what you said there is, is the key part. And I think where Doug deserves a lot of credit because it's something that has to be built from the ground up and we are very much in the the like i said earlier today we're all guinea pigs here you know like this is the this is this is phase one now there's definitely been guys who've been participating uh with sharing the land longer even doug participates on his own uh family farm um but uh it's still the very early days and i think Doug deserves credit for having that vision of what it could become. And, um, he, he always says, this isn't about me. This is about sharing the land. And this is, yeah. he sees that, you know, going on into the future and hopefully further developing into, you know, really who knows what, but, but all good, right. All, all a net positive. Yeah. And something yesterday I was hanging out with Doug and uh, a couple of the film, uh, the videographer guys and, we were just talking and, and something that Doug mentioned, which showed to me that he, he really cared and he wasn't just trying to make a name for himself is he said, a big concern of mine right now is trying to figure out how to make sure it's not my legacy, but it, it's, it's its own legacy where it becomes mm-hmm. its own kind of identity. And that's very humble, I think. And, and, uh, and it shows that starting from a true heart and, and to me, sharing the land is like the perfect solution i'm sure kinks will need to be worked out but it is the perfect solution to um uh you know if if everything was public land then you're china but if nothing's public land then you're like then you're europe (laughs) yeah or i was thinking you're like was that uh 1984 you're like basically that world you're owned by you know companies and stuff like that well you definitely don't want that and so there's got to be some balance where we can be connected to it and share and have access. Cause Kent said one time to me, he's like, one of the great things about America was that people could just come in and explore. That's hard to do, you know, in the West, there's more of it, but you know, in the East, forget about it. Yeah. One of our greatest expressions of freedoms is we're able to go onto public land and within the law, do what we want. Yeah. You know, if you want to hunt, great. If you want to fish, great. If you want to camp, great. If you want to train your bird dog, great. You know, if you want to just hike, you know, want to look for fossils, not arrowheads, not, you know, <laughs> human relics, right? That's, that, that's, a, that's a different classification. But, but point being, there's all these things that you can do, you know? Yeah. And you, if you live in an urban area, you know, go to downtown Des Moines, that's not an option. Go yeah. To, you might you have know, a one park within right. a little and, ways. And even still, you can't hunt, you can't 
fish you can't you know what i mean like it's yeah you, you, you can play frisbee <laughs> yeah that's true man Nobody we need to, to see get this downtown des moines hunting going that's <laughs> i'm here to see jace we need to get well, this we, started we do have an urban hunt uh in polk county that's really that's pretty successful i will will point out but yeah. probably not quite urban yeah how, how do you get that's a great i never thought of this is this outside of your jurisdiction like all the urban deer hunts that go on or do you get data from those every city that does that oh we definitely get data um and i help out with some technical guidance uh here and there uh it's not programs that i run right um those are handled by the cities but yeah for the most part they're very successful in uh managing those populations of deer that otherwise wouldn't have any management uh, Mm -hmm. taking place yeah a little hot tip here for our listeners davenport iowa there are some big bucks running around davenport iowa some of the biggest bucks i've ever seen so if you want to be in on one of those urban deer hunts you get going (laughs) ken's actually giving you like the third or yeah, fourth most yeah yeah he's like yeah, keeping the, the worst hello <laughs> <laughs> all right all right let's let's move on robbie i remember uh i remember calling you and you were like yeah i'll see if i can make it and then even saying uh like I, you know i don't i don't need to hunt i just want to i just want to help out that is cool and then but we're convincing him to come hunting with us yeah and he kind of looks like ryan callahan it might just be the mustache but what do you think, Ken? Yeah, he's got, he's got a he's got a Ryan Callahan vibe to me. But uh, Robert's a cool guy. Yeah, I'll I'll let you say what you do for a living. Cause it is fascinating. Uh, I work for the University of Iowa in the hydraulics lab. Um, so we study water, uh, rivers and dams and sewer systems and kind of anything related to water. Like a fool, I thought he was talking about like hydraulic pumps like with oil and so i started talking about that he's like yeah no i don't take a look at her skid steer over here (laughs) no that that's always everybody's first guess because you know nobody thinks of hydraulics as being water it's it's always so are hydraulics originally water-based before they were oil and that's why they're called hydraulics um not to my knowledge okay i I, I just don't know yeah Um, i'm gonna google it while you keep talking okay um I'm, I think I'm kind of the oddball out. I'm a, an adult onset hunter. Hey, I am too, man. Hey, perfect. So I, you know, I've only been hunting for eight years. Um, I, I grew up. I think that's the exact same amount of time. Or I might be in nine now. Something okay. Like that. We're right in there together. Yeah, that's right. Sure. Um, I grew up, you know, out in the country outside of a dinky little town, Kelowna. That yeah. nobody, if you know where Kelowna is, it's because you've seen an Amish person there. Yeah. That's pretty much what they're known for. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Delicious homemade butter. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, 90% of the time didn't have shoes on, always playing outside, but, you know, just didn't, didn't have any hunters in the family to right. speak of at that yep. point. Uh, a buddy of mine took me pheasant hunting one time and it was over. Yeah. That, that, I'm hooked. That's what we're doing from now on. Yeah, there's, there's when you, when you step onto a piece of ground as a hunter, there's now a new connection that you have to that ground that is deeper than anything else. I don't care how much fly fishing you do. I don't care how much. The only thing that I can maybe compare to it is trapping, which is really in a way hunting. You know, the, there, when you are playing for guaranteed keeps, there's no throwing a pheasant back after you shoot it. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, and and if you aren't on your a game you aren't getting anything because you're going to be avoided you know if you're a bad predator you go hungry 
And uh, there's just so I totally understand that that first time, that first exposure, that that switch gets flipped. Yep, it does. Um, the majority of what I hunt anymore now is public land. Uh, mm. I've got access to a couple hundred acres of private that you know it's kind of access through a friend of a friend. So it's I can go there sometimes, and other right. times I can't. But you know, I, I feel incredibly privileged that I have uh, 350 acres of public ground two miles outside of town where I live. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, it doesn't really compare to middle Wisconsin where you got a couple yeah, hundred that's thousand. Just, that's just but... the parking lot. In there, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what you walk through to get to your stand. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's blasting the 30 point box from their, uh, <laughs> from their buck slayer camper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, so sharing the land, how'd you uh, get on board with that? Same way, I think. Um, you know, I, I listened to the meat eater media quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I kept hearing them talk about, you know, Doug's vision for sharing the yeah. land. And I, you know, it kind of resonates with me on a kind of a, a little different level because I don't have a history of losing access to land. And as I, you know, I'm coming in hunting, being a little bit older, I, I have a little better feel of you know, what the actual value of land is, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a kid, I don't think anybody thinks about, you know, no, you, you just, that's something you don't care about. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I don't try real hard to get access to other places cause I have enough for what I do. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I heard about it and I thought, well, you know, maybe this is one of those things where maybe I don't get anything from it, but maybe I can give something. Sure. And then, you know, along the way, I, there's a lot of information I don't have as being so new to the hunting game and, you know, conservation in general. So right. there's a lot that I can learn from, you know, I, I didn't know what, what grasses we oh, were yeah. pulling out and what we were leaving today. So I had to, <laughs> yeah. you know, I had to be shown that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, by the way, you're, never, you're, you're forever changed now. The next time you walk into a strip of CRP, you're going to start seeing, oh, big blue Indian. Yeah. Oh, little blue. Switchgrass. Yeah. It's when you yep. hoe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's when you hoe out Queen Anne's lace for two straight decades that when you see on the side of the road, Uh-oh, you like Nick's, cringe a Nick's little bit. Nick's bursting a bubble right now for a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Queen Anne's lace, invasive and, and pretty terrible. Wild, wild carrot. Although we asked, we had someone ask us the other day for 4,000 pounds or something of the seed. And I'm like, no, we, we actively get rid of that. We do not carry <laughs> any of that seed. But so um, there are things. In, in, in fairness, I think this, this person was asking for like a, a medicinal yeah, purpose. Yeah, some sort of herbicide. They, were, they weren't going out there to ruin your CRP. But yeah, but big blue stem in the Indian grass field, big issue. Because a little, little tidbit for anyone who doesn't know, big blue stem is the apex grass. Not predator, but <laughs> apex grass. And it's only a problem for us, though, because it's in a production field. Yes. we got to have clean seed to sell yep. to the customer. But it can become a problem in a prairie because the things that mitigated it were fire and uh, bison. And elk. To, and elk. And uh, one of those happens a little bit occasionally, and two of those things do not exist in Iowa. Yep. So... Uh, it, it is what we call an increasing grass, forever increasing. And um, even if you only start with a tiny bit of big blue stem, you hit uh, 25, 30 years, all of a sudden you got a big old patch of big blue stem in your field. But that was just a fun. If you got like a small backyard prairie, you might might not be a bad idea once the stuff goes to seed. 
uh, every year just go and strip those those seed heads and you yeah by yourself you know a couple decades because yeah. if you got your backyard uh pollinator from us we did the math where you should have about two big blue stem plants per thousand square feet so it shouldn't be enough to it should be enough where you can just go and strip all the heads or cut mm-hmm. them off if you want and then sell them become our competitor eight seeds at a time <laughs> <laughs> i think you'll die of old age <laughs> But no, it's great to have you, Robbie, and uh, another guy, guy who likes to work. He's working he does. Today. Show us those work hands again there. Oh, <laughs> and people can't see them, but they're yeah, they're pretty calloused and 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 weather worn. If uh, he doesn't if we, have to wear gloves, I don't think. No. If we were getting robbed by uh, the man himself, Jesse James, he would not have robbed this guy. He would yeah, have let him might, go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> No, but, you got Kyle stands. Yep. So uh, Bart, he likes to work. He work. He's been working in this industry for quite some time, right? Uh, yeah. Give a shout out for the name of your company. Well, uh, Howard Forest and Prairie. My name's Bart Howard. Unfortunately, I don't do as much uh, land stewardship as I'd like with my company, but uh, kind of turned into primarily a urban forestry company doing tree trimming. It's an important job. It's yeah. an important job. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> I have a passion for land stewardship, so we do do some timber stand improvement and uh, invasive species control as well as prescribed burning. Are you planning on getting some of your own land and, and creating some habitat on it someday? Well, that's always been the dream. You know, I think I grew up, I, would, uh, I wanted to be a professional football player. And nice. I, I would write down how many acres I was going to own and <laughs> I figured out the stocking rate. I was going to have a, a, a hunting preserve with African game and wow. <laughs> you just skip the NFL, go straight to having yeah. the hunting reserve. Yeah. But neither of those panned out. So, but, um, we grew up going to national parks for family vacations. That's and, so cool. Uh, got to see the West, and that was a real blessing. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I, my senior year, was taking forestry class through FFA in Muscatine, Iowa. I was like, you know what? I want to be a forester. I know there's not trees in Iowa, but I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to be a so. I'm in the wrong state for this job. <laughs> so, um, I studied forestry and ag business at Iowa State and uh, had some internships along the way that, with uh, the Army Corps of Engineers as, oh, yeah. as a park ranger. Um, Where at? At Sailorville Lake. Man, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's a cool place. They're actually really trying to push prairie around their perimeter and it's awesome it's done some great things so but anyway sorry keep going yeah so uh spent a summer working for the minnesota dnr and uh one summer out in saratoga wyoming nice what'd you do out there so okay um mountain pine bark beetle was killing a lot of the lodgepole pine and other pine species and uh they were the forest service didn't wasn't getting a lot of value for the timber so they're actually marking along roadways to remove hazardous trees 
And so it was like tree height plus 10%. They were of that tree height. They were clearing away from the road. Hmm. So we were marking the boundaries and trying to minimize that, that harvest area because they were actually having to pay to remove the trees. Hmm. So, um, so that was a good experience, but, um, yeah. What got you, what were you like? I'm going to, I'm going to start a forestry prairie company. Cause I, it sounds like your imagine was that, or first imagining having like a habitat, uh, managing company. Yeah. That was kind of my thoughts, but there's not a lot of habitat out yeah. there, you know, unless yeah. you're talking publicly owned land yeah. and they do most of their own land management. Mm-hmm. Granted, you know, there's always room for improvement, but, uh, so I, I had a skill, you know, I started trimming trees for family and friends and, uh, it just kind of grew from there, you know, as a climber. He's the only one brave enough to climb that tree. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we've continued to do habitat work as maybe like 10% of our business. Hmm. But it's not the focal point. Yeah. Yeah. I have this new thing where every time I'm on a podcast with somebody who uh, works in forestry, I ask about their sketchiest uh, moment in work. That's, That's dangerous, dangerous work. work. Well, I can tell you just yesterday, last night, I I had a, my climbing line was over a, a, a twig that I couldn't break from the ground. And I was climbing. It, it had held for like the majority of the climb. I'm, I was almost done. And it broke. And I'm falling. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm, what happened? Oh, no. I'm going to be late, late to sharing the land. land. <laughs> 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 I kind of thought that maybe I overlooked something and I was going to go all the way to the ground. But, oh my goodness, man. But I, uh, I, <laughs> I was okay. How'd you stop? Did you just bear hug the well, tree? I was on another branch, but so the twig broke above the, my, my main branch that was supporting, that was going to support my weight. And so I just had a section of rope that had to, Oh, so you had that nice little, like, taut catch where it, like, yoinked you real real bad for a second. (laughs) Turns out these harnesses work. (laughs) Dude, so, I mean, listeners will remember Peyton, uh, who has transitioned out uh, three or four weeks ago. And, uh, Peyton, we miss your face. Um, Well, Peyton was, he got really big into rock climbing um, for a while. And uh, I think what happened is he was at this gym he was normally at. And there was, there's like two parts to the harness, right? I think he lazily didn't clip one. And then he went, he climbed to the top of a 40 foot wall. And then 43, he just, I think. 43, he pushed out, right? Push out like you do. And then you're just gonna, um, you're just gonna drop back down slowly. Well, uh, the one that he did hook failed or broke or something. And he fell straight back. And, uh, when he tells the story, he laughs because he, he there's a school field. Yeah. Like a fourth graders there. Oh. They're just like, look, mom, a, look at that guy fall. <laughs> it's like the scene on Napoleon dynamite. When, uh, when, uh, the farmer's out there shooting the cow and the school bus pulls up. Right. <laughs> 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 it, well, 
I don't know. He sent me the footage once because he uh, ended up getting the security footage. And uh, he, like, gets up immediately and is, like, rocking his shoulder. That was the only real injury he had. He really hurt his shoulder. Yeah, by a miracle. I mean, he should have probably died. Yeah. Well, it was soft ground. (laughs) 43-foot fall, though, onto, like, a mat that was, like, this thick. Yeah. I don't know, man. And they, like, push him back down on the ground. They're like, you're not moving until the ambulance gets here. and. Did he yeah. shatter his shoulder? Wasn't that it? It's roasted. Even today, he like feels it and it hurts. And it's been like six years. Yeah. So be laying on his head or yeah, yeah, a little further back. Yeah. Man. Yep. But right in front of those fourth graders, my goodness. So yeah, I'm scary. glad that didn't happen to you yesterday with no padding. That's yeah. that's that's scary stuff, man. So uh, how did you hear about sharing the land? Well, I heard about it through a podcast as well. Different podcast. Um, Bird Booze and Buds podcast I've with Tyler Webster. Um, that was like my my gateway podcast. Nice. <laughs> I heard everybody talking about listening to podcasts, and uh, I I started traveling a lot to hunt. Yeah. You know, there's decent there's some decent habitat where I'm from, but uh, there's not a lot of it, and I kind of wanted to go someplace I might be able to get lost. Hmm. So I was hunting some some bigger contiguous acres up in northern Iowa and and uh listening to podcasts while I traveled up there. Wow. That's, That's how I cool. found podcasts too, trying to stay awake while traveling for hunting, you know. And when I heard about sharing the land, it kind of struck a chord with me because when I'm out working on other people's land, you know, it's uh it's not easy you know it's hard work you know a lot of times um these invasives that you're trying to manage and fight back so that the good plants can can be the primary inhabitant of the land and uh you know it's a struggle it's a labor of love it takes a lot of persistence so mm-hmm. um you know, it was something where I thought, wow, it would be really cool to be able to have that connection with a piece of land that I got to hunt. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. It brings your, it brings your value of that piece uh, full circle instead of just being like, you know what, this is good for the greater good. That's mm-hmm. why I'm sweating out here today. But then when it's like, you know what, I can actually enjoy this labor later. Man. Got any tips for uh, Tree of Heaven management? Uh, That's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) Invite my girlfriend over. That's all you need to do. Oh, she's good with with, uh, Tree of Heaven. I had one growing in my front yard, and I wanted to see what it was, and she came out one day and chopped it down with a machete right in front of me. (laughs) She had no idea I was doing that, apparently. (laughs) Oh, man. No, it gets thick. It's like a weed, but it's a tree. It just looks gross. Oh man! And it smells horrible. Yeah, it smells horrible. It looks like a mini jungle. You know yeah. what I mean? It, if they were like, if they were like thirty times as tall with the like canopy kind of thing oh, they create. Yeah. And is it true that are they rhizomous? Yeah, I think so. So yeah. like a lot of that's like one organism. That's part of the reason goodness. it's difficult to control. So would um, uh, Tordon? It could you just kill one part of it, or do you have to get like every single stump? I believe you have to get them all. I, there's crazy. probably some transfer, but you're not going to get the type of uh, results you want unless you 
go after man so my uncle's got it really bad and it's on the steepest uh mm-hmm. bank you've yeah, ever seen in your life road ditches oh jace you might know this is that is maybe one good thing that can come from that quail habitat do the quail seem to like any is there any research that you know of that would be a better question for uh our mutual friend todd i think <laughs> todd, um, need I, you. I i do a lot better answering questions about uh animals with hooves and fur uh (laughs) yes antlers in in particular but um it it, that is interesting i mean there it's impossible to deny that some of the invasives that people try very hard to manage can result in great habitat for certain Mm -hmm. species not a reason to you know lazily allow them to exist but but that is kind of a weird uh you know juxtaposition sometimes yeah yeah it's uh, it, it's just an interesting thing. Another invasive that's starting to slowly gain more notice and mm. attention. And yeah. Unfortunately, that slow gain of attention is usually too late. You Wait, start seeing it everywhere. What would happen if humans just left Iowa as is? All the buildings are here. All the weed man. Would it just like all be uh, locusts and tree of heaven one day? Basically, because there wouldn't be any bison to help control or elk to help control. That's a really good question. Honeysuckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bush honeysuckle, autumn olive, reed canary grass. Yeah. yeah. Sweet white clover. Yeah. But Or or would big blue stem and Indian grass make I it come back? Go, I think that goes back to what our, uh, our friend James up at Iowa Cover Crop talked about. He said, if you, if you could have your way and everyone's got prairie again, we don't have the seed stock to even make that possible. Mm. And, and, um, yeah, cause there's more probably yeah. brome on the ground in Iowa than there is. Right. So it would just, but that being said, you know, we were digging up big blue for a reason. So yeah, you know, if you give it, you know, a couple dozen million years, yeah, you know, maybe that slow, just like, uh, you know, that slow progressive like Russ talked establishment. about yeah of of those native species it might end up so here's a question the um mollusols mm-hmm. you got one in argentina you got one in eastern kind of eurasia area and then you've got one here if you took even amount of seeds from each one as they originally were and put them in one boom and just mix that mix up and planted it, what species would end up dominating that, that to me is fascinating. Like a, uh, tournament, a, a survival of the fittest with plants from yeah. cross continents. And yeah, yeah, yeah it is, a, it is a, it is a fair, fair uh, thing to consider. But so, uh, we, we got the, we got the big blue dug up this morning. Still, I'll, I'll be doing that some more on Saturday. Um, Nicholas will be too. Yeah, I'm excited. And and uh, but we got a great start on it. Uh, what'd you guys think? Just being in the prairie today. Any any uh, just instant reactions from guys? It's always awesome to be in the prairie. Yeah. I mean, anytime you spend outside doing, you know, good work for a good cause, and it's it's uh, very fulfilling. Yeah. Upon initial hearing of what we we're doing, you're reaction might be why are you digging up big blue stem big yeah. blue stem is one of the good <laughs> we guys need that. <laughs> but you know they have these fields and seed production so that more prairie can be put on the landscape so although it, it may not sound right at first there's there's a reason we're doing what we're doing 
and creating value. That's right. I enjoyed the conversation. I think, uh, yeah, probably one of the best days of being able to talk to a lot of different folks that I hadn't met mm. uh, until today, some of which I had, but um, no, that, that was great. I think any time to, you know, get with a bunch of like-minded folks is, is a good time. Yeah. How did, how did I feel about it? Well, my blood sugar crashed in the middle, which was not a good time at like late morning, but, uh, He's like the mall cop guy. He just starts like instantly falls down to sleep. <laughs> Get that man a dumb dumb. <laughs> oh man. It feels like that sometimes. No, I, uh, actually was shocked how much work we got done because it, Man, guys, if you could have seen how yeah. much Big Blue Step was in that field, it looked like a mixed field, and we swept through it really well, and I was driving past the section we had done, and it looked really good. And, and thankfully, not all of our fields are as bad as that one section is. There's, that's just, for whatever reason, by far the worst area. Um, our Big Blue Stem field is pooping out on us. Uh, but one of the problems with like what we're dealing with now is that it's right next to our Indian grass field. So I was telling Ken, I was like, we need to dig up that big blue stem field and rent a farm 10 miles away and plant it there. Mm -hmm. Cause we dig it out of all of our grass fields, every single one. And at this point we've basically given up on a section of our switchgrass. That's just like, you could just harvest it for big blue Mm -hmm. at this point. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was just excited how much that I don't have to do later. <laughs> yeah. And and something I was struck by was the quality of people that just getting to know you guys, quality yes. of people that sign up for sharing the land. Mm-hmm. It like it, it shows something. I don't know if it's just because you guys care more about being connected to the land that shows like character and and authenticity and, and willingness to work, but um and just genuineness. Well, I really I, appreciate that. I think it's that. another another part of the and maybe it's intentional, maybe it's unintentional, but genius behind sharing the land. Like it appealed to all these people who were going to these, these podcasts that are really, you know, they're fun to listen to, but they're sources of education that you get a good education, um, uh, for, for just being, you know, a, any person can just pull this thing up on their cell phone, on their podcast app and listen to it. And so you're getting people that seek to be educated, that seek to have their ear to the ground on conservation issues. And um, they're, the, they're the first wave of people signing up for Share the Land, either as, as people who are going to be um, a, a farm that people can access or access seekers. And so as this continues to grow and the word spreads, hey, there's the Sharing the Land thing, you want hunting access, you can go that's going to start trickling down to people who maybe don't really look to be educated, maybe don't keep their ear to the ground on conservation issues. And they're going to start doing so because they're going to be rubbing shoulders with all all these guys here. And, uh, down the road that that's where, that's where the vision really starts to get cool. Yeah. And I, I want to point out, we are not being paid by sharing the land. I don't think anyone here is. We just, really believe in it we think that yeah. it is one of it is a huge if people buy into it it is a huge step forward for conservation and like our logo is a pheasant pheasant's not native but it represents something that we really believe in is that we can't go back to exactly how things were and we don't need to we need to find a good balance in the future and i think the pheasant represents that well and i think sharing the land is looking to do that really really well yeah. 
Um, but uh, man, I, well I have said, Nick, man, thanks. that was the water kicked in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was ready to close there, but then I realized I did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Robbie, anything that stood out to you while you're out there uh, shoveling Big Blue today? Uh, I think the one thing that really stuck with me the most, you know, getting to talk to everybody, I don't know anything. And, and that's exciting to me yeah. because that means I've got all of this stuff that I could look forward to learning. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's something as simple as, hey, what grass do I pick? You know, I, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know which one it is or, you know, all of these intricate issues that, you know, uh, you were talking to Doug earlier about all of the CWD issues that oh, yeah. we're, you know, everybody's dealing with now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a rabbit hole you could go down for weeks or months. Absolutely. And, oh, yep. Yeah. And, you know, I, I follow that a lot closer than the the um, kind of the prairie end of things just because, you know, yeah. as a hunter, that's. You know, I care about the deer herds and mm-hmm. population, and um, but it, it just kind of struck me that hey, you know, you got this really good opportunity to learn pretty much whatever you want to from a group right. of guys that really know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I knew how to run a shovel before I got here, but yeah. I, I picked up <laughs> a few things along the way. So yeah, yeah. It, which is a real humble thing to say, guys. Robbie, he knows stuff. But specifically about water and, and hydraulics, but uh, I was I was blown away by the by how unassuming unassuming maybe but you just um, humble humble yeah you're so humble by uh, came here didn't expect to uh, treat it a certain way but also you you were willing to admit like I don't I don't know very much you know and that that's cool I feel like a lot of people we talk to kind of nod and, and i am guilty of doing that sometimes too like oh yeah i know i know what we're talking about right now i'm like i have no idea <laughs> i i've definitely been guilty of that yeah, yeah. you know everybody that's, has oh sure that's, that's a survival tactic sometimes <laughs> <laughs> anyone here's got in-laws <laughs> <laughs> oh that's dude. that's been one of the a neat thing i've learned though through work is i work with a lot of students and mm. uh so you know they might come in fresh out of high school this is their first year living on their own and they just they don't know anything about anything Mm -hmm. and so i've got to kind of gauge all right where are you at where are your skills at what can you do you know can you swing a hammer or can you run a chop saw all that and and i've realized that you know it takes a certain amount of just being able to say i don't know anything yeah but if you can admit that, then all of a sudden you can learn a bunch of things that you never would have if you'd said, oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, I, yeah. I got this. And then you miss out on all of that information that you could have gotten. So. so Every summer, I have summer guys that come on staff. And I ask my, one of my first questions, I ask them, do you know how to run a ratchet strap? And they almost all say say yes, and most of them cannot, you know, Uh because they don't want to be embarrassed, but you got to learn sometime. Sure. Yeah, sure. I I I had a friend once say, everyone can use a ratchet strap until another man is watching. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I I am grateful. My dad had me ratchet everything down on the farm, starting at like, you know, age eight or something like that. Cause 
he didn't want to do it. So yeah. he, someone else needed to know how to. By the way, I ratcheted my finger finally in a ratchet strap. You know, the thing you're always afraid of when you see all those nasty looking teeth there. Yeah. I finally ratcheted up my fingernail um, like a couple of weeks ago and it wasn't that bad. Yeah. So all of you like, like want to like push the button and quick pull your hand away. Don't worry about it. It's not that bad. <laughs> oh, Good man. Know. Yeah. I, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it really wasn't that bad. Just got a little, a little. <laughs> He's miss, you're missing the finger, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it it was fantastic working alongside of all of you guys today. Um, I was I was humbled just to be in your presence and, you know, yeah. in a big way, pinching myself. Wow, this is real. This is this is cool. You know, we're we're here with Doug. We're here with the film crew. We're here with all of you, great people doing what you do and. Uh, you know, kind of people that I'm proud to know and yeah. proud to be associated with and and uh, to be building friendships with. And I, I really look forward to the second part of this, which is when we get to hunt it this fall. And, um, you know, that's, that's going to feel very rewarding. It's going to be like what Bart was talking about, like where it comes full circle. Okay, that ground right there has my blood, sweat, and tears in it. And now I'm hunting it. And mm. that means something to me. And that... That is really where, you know, we end every podcast with our with our uh, slogan, the clever slogan that Nick came up, which is conservation happens one mind at a time. If you want to change somebody's mind, you gotta you gotta change their value system. And and um, you know, if we have more people valuing the land that they're made of, not just that they live on, but the same elements that make them, uh, then they gotta have they gotta see how that connection exists for them and sharing the land helps uh, create that. It's not going to be the silver bullet to solving all of our land-based issues, land use based issues, but uh, it is a step, a major giant, big leap in the right direction. And uh, we're so proud to be in the early phases of this. All of us here, we're all guinea pigs together. Um, but uh, you know, I think it's, we're just honored to be in the position to be able to yeah. help get it off the ground. I, I look forward to seeing how it evolves down the road, both on our farm and with all these people here. And, um, also for sharing the land uh, as a hopefully nationwide, you know, program. So thank you everyone for being here. Um, yeah. Do remember this podcast is presented by Hoxie native seeds. It was so fun to see the original Hoxie himself out there yeah today. very convenient him and doug just driving around the hey, farm <laughs> and uh just seeing him happy and and uh, i think it's really important that people recognize what carol has been doing for nearly 40 years um on behalf of prairie and uh you guys got a good taste of that today just seeing what he's built through those years, but there was no playbook to go by. Yeah, there was, no, he started with a remnant the size of the room we're hanging out in and had to just pick the seeds by hand and figure out how to grow them. And, yep. you know, yep. just a, yeah. an incredible thing that he built. And if you want a little piece of it yourself, you can uh, find seed at hoxynativeseeds.com or theprairiefarm.com. And uh, we will be sending those orders out this fall in time for a dormant seeding uh, once the weather which yeah. I cannot wait for cools off. Yeah. And, uh, all you people out there that say you love summer, just change that to say 
you love air conditioning. You're not outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, uh, you, you, you're wrong. <laughs> but I can't wait till fall weather's here, and it will be here soon. We'll get those orders out to you. And, uh, yeah, thank you again for listening in. If you haven't yet, please leave us a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. What that does is it helps others see that our podcast is there because it'll cause our podcast to start trending on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And then we can start educating more people about all these things that we talked about today. So, Nick, how do minds change? One. Wait. Ooh, I that oh, man. We roasted. <laughs> hey, bit. guys, thanks so much. Conservation happens one mind at a time. Yeah. You know, 